Thank you so much, Doug, for that prayer this morning. Did you notice when we were reciting John 15, verses 1 through 11 together, that we are so confident that you've memorized it? We didn't even put the words on the screen. We just knew you'd know it by heart. No, actually, that was, the words were supposed to have been up there. <laughs> Not sure what happened, but that was supposed to help you to memorize John 15. But we did enjoy hearing them read it, didn't we? We did, yes. Um, this morning, we are continuing in our study of the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 18, and in fact, we come to the end of uh, John chapter 18 today. And as I have been sharing with you in John chapters 18 through 21, this last major section of the Gospel of John, we have all the events that lead up, excuse me, that lead up to the death and resurrection of Christ and all the events surrounding that. And so far, we have seen Jesus betrayed. We have seen him arrested. We have seen him, or we saw last week, him come before one of the high priests, Annas. We saw him denied by one of his most loyal followers, Peter. We saw him denied three times, Peter even saying he didn't even know him. And this morning we come to a very famous conversation, a very famous scene that is just packed full of important information for us, and that is Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. So our passage this morning that we are looking at is John chapter 18 and verses 28 through 40. Let me read that for you. It says, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him for yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. 
but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Well, our first point this morning is the cold-hearted hatred of the Jewish leaders. The trial of Jesus moves from the two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas, to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. Pilate has become, down through history, a very famous figure in the Bible. And in verse 28, 28 excuse me, it says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. It is so interesting. If you want to get the full picture of all the events surrounding, preceding, surrounding, and after the death and resurrection of Christ, you really have to put all four gospel accounts together because some of the gospel writers emphasize one thing more than another. And here we have the, the Apostle John emphasizing Jesus standing before Annas, but telling us nothing of his trial before Caiaphas during the night. Caiaphas leading the Sanhedrin as they grilled Jesus, as they questioned Jesus, but John goes right from Annas to Pilate. And so it says, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, of which in John's gospel we know nothing, to the governor's headquarters. The governor's headquarters was known as the Praetorium. That is where the sitting governor of Judea or of any particular province in any area of the Roman empire would be. This was where the Romans had set up headquarters within Judea in their rulership over the Jews. It was early morning. Jesus' trial before Annas and Caiaphas took place illegally as we looked at last week during the middle of the night, but now it is early morning. Now the Jewish leaders themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. This is the Passover season. We saw Jesus sharing the Passover supper with his disciples, which became the Lord's Supper. But the Jewish leaders have become so involved in arresting Jesus and wanting to see Jesus killed that they did not even take time to eat the Passover, so they haven't eaten the Passover yet. And they don't want to defile themselves by going into the house of a Gentile. We'll look at that more in just a moment. And so they want Pilate to come out to them. They're not going to go into the Gentile headquarters of Pontius Pilate because they don't know what might be in there. They don't know what might be in this Gentile's house. And so they ask him to come out to them. And so in verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Verse 30, they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Now there is something going on here that is important for us to understand. You may have heard this before, but it is good to go over it again. 
Pontius Pilate, this man who was governor of the province of Judea at this time in history was a very conflicted man. He was in a very difficult position. He was placed by the Roman government to have jurisdiction on behalf of Tiberius Caesar over Israel, over the province of Judea and Jerusalem. And the Jews were known to be a difficult people to rule over. And the Jews knew this. They knew this. So they were often very manipulative with Pilate. They needed Pilate's cooperation if they were to put Jesus to death. And Pilate knew that. I think as you read the four gospel accounts, Pilate had a real distaste for the Jews. He was annoyed by them. But at the same time, he did not want them to complain to Caesar because Caesar could remove him from his position. So he was not wanting to give in to what he felt was their envy in this situation, as we learn in the other Gospels, but at the same time, he didn't want them upset and going to Caesar. So he says, so why do you bring this man to me? Why are you bringing this guy to me? And they answered sarcastically, if this, he, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. You know that, Pilate. We wouldn't be bringing him to you. You know we investigate these things thoroughly. We wouldn't be bringing him to you if he were not doing evil. So Pilate said to them, now again, notice the tension here. There's tension between Pilate and the Jewish leaders. He said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. These are matters of your law, not Roman matters. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. See, they had announced a death sentence for Jesus. But the Jewish leadership, the Jewish people could not carry out a capital punishment. They couldn't. This was reserved for the Roman government who ruled over them. So if they were to have someone executed, it had to be done by the Romans, and they had to convince the Romans that this person needed to be executed. And so they said, you know this. It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. He has to come to you. Verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show, had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now we're going to look at this more in just a moment also. This is the fulfillment of scripture. Jesus has to die by Roman crucifixion in order to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, in order to fulfill his own words that he would be put to death by being hung on a tree. Now, I just want you to think about that whole scene there. I want you to think about that scene, and I want you to see that the Jewish leaders are far more concerned with their man-made legalistic rituals than they are about the pre their premeditated plot to murder Jesus. They're more concerned with defiling themselves by going into Pilate's house, into his headquarters, than they are with their own premeditated plot to murder Jesus. Their fear of defiling themselves in the governor's headquarters 
is based more on actual man-made tradition than the law of Moses. While the law, law of Moses forbid the people to be defiled if they were going to eat the Passover, they had to be clean in order to eat the Passover. The Jewish religious leaders over time had taken that and they were, I mean, they wanted to stay away from anything. If they were to go in the house of a Gentile, they don't know what might be in there. So they weren't forbidden to go in there but they didn't want to go in there because they didn't know what this man might have in his house and there might be something in his house that might defile them. And they might not get to eat the Passover right away. You know, defiled people had to become clean before they could eat the Passover. So they might be delayed in eating the Passover. But they were far more concerned about that than the fact that they had brought Jesus to fulfill their plot to murder him. They were going to put Jesus to death. They were going to put an innocent man to death. And I just want you to see here that their hearts have become so hardened and so calloused that it doesn't even bother them that they're going to put an innocent man to death. They'd become so envious of him, so threatened by him. It doesn't bother their consciousness at all that they're going to put Jesus to death. Really worried that they might outwardly become defiled and not be able to eat the Passover. But no concern that they're about to commit murder. How do the hearts of people become so hardened? How is it that these religious leaders of the day can take a man that they knew deep in their hearts was innocent and kill him, arrange meticulously to have him killed by the Romans? There is great hypocrisy here, great irony here. This is legalism at its height that man-made rituals and laws had become more important than the purity and innocence of their hearts in obedience to God. It's interesting. In verses 31 and 32, Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. But it says this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Do you know they could have stoned Jesus? They could have. In fact, earlier in the Gospel of John, they tried to stone him and he escaped. We know in the book of Acts that they stoned Stephen. They didn't send him to the Romans. To be executed. They immediately stoned him after his trial. We know that the woman caught in adultery in the Gospel of John. They took her out and were ready to stone her. Why didn't they stone Jesus? Why didn't they just put him to death themselves? And the answer is because if they did, they feared a riot among their own people. Jesus had so much influence over the common man and woman. He had so much influence over the multitudes. 
for those who believed and even those who didn't believe. He had so much influence that they feared that influence. So they knew that if they were going to have this man killed, they had to do it formally through the Roman government. They had to let the Romans do it. They had to make it appear that the Romans had agreed that Jesus had committed a capital offense and was worthy of death. And so they're going through all of these elaborate procedures so that the Romans will kill him, so that the Romans will put him to death. But, oh, folks, I want you to see, God's completely in control. Jesus, as we have seen over the last two weeks, is in complete control of everything. He has to be crucified. He has to be crucified in order to fulfill the prophecies made about the Messiah in the Old Testament. He has to be crucified in order to fulfill his own words. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Totally in control of everything surrounding his death. Well, that leads us to our second point this morning, and that is Jesus and Pilate. And this is the heart and soul of this sermon and of this passage. Jesus' conversation with Pontius Pilate is one of the most important and intriguing interactions in the annals of human history. It really is. Bible students have been fascinated by this conversation throughout the course of church history. Everyone who studies this passage is fascinated by this interaction between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. In verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again. Remember, he had come out to meet the Jews because they didn't want to be defiled in his house. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Jesus is not being sarcastic here. I believe, and this is important, that Jesus in this interaction with Pilate is, as we would term it today, he's witnessing to him. He's giving Pilate an opportunity to believe. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Are you asking me if I'm a king? Do you really want to know about me? Do you really want to know who I am? Or did others say it to you about me? Are you just asking because this is what other people said? And Pilate snaps at him. Verse 35. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Am I a Jew? Am I unconcerned about who you are or what your mission is? Or what you've come to do? And then in verse 36, Jesus answered, Interesting answer. Pilate's asking, are you a king? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. You see, Pilate only knew about earthly kings and earthly kingdoms. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. You see, this is the key to everything. It's the reason he's giving himself up voluntarily. Because this is all part of the plan of God for our salvation. He didn't fight against the Romans. He didn't fight against the Jews. He's giving himself up because his kingdom's not of this world. Now we know that ultimately Jesus is the ruler of the entire universe. But what he's referring to here most specifically is that he is the ruler in the hearts of every man and woman who has believed in him as the truth of God. He is the king. His kingdom is in the hearts of all of those who have embraced him as Lord and Savior. He says, Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews if my kingdom were of this world. I would have called my troops out and defended myself. It takes us back to Matthew's account in the Gospel of Matthew when Peter pulled out his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, Peter, put your sword back. He says, don't you understand that I could have appealed to my father and he would have sent 12 legions of angels? Peter, don't you know I could have called down the army of heaven and that's exactly what he's saying to Pilate. My kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of, of this world, I could have called out all the armies of heaven by the millions and they would have come to fight for me and defend me. But then at the end of verse 36, he says again, but my kingdom, but my kingdom is not from the world. And that brings us to verse 37. An amazing verse, a verse that we could dwell on for a long, long period of time. One of those amazing verses found in, in the Bible. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate says, so you are a king. And in essence, Jesus is saying, yes, I am. And let me explain my kingship. Anytime that Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose, I came into the world. We need to sit up and pay attention. This is the heart and soul of the Christian faith. He is telling it to all of us. For this purpose, Jesus says, for this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I came into the world. Oh, Jesus, what is that purpose? To bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to the truth 
to the truth. And then he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is the truth of God. We're all familiar with John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We quote that verse all the time. I just quoted it Thursday at a funeral service. And we use it to refer to Jesus as the exclusive and only way to the Father. And that is good, important. But I want you to notice something else. Jesus not only says he is the way, he not only says he is the life, he says he is the truth. I am the way and the truth. You see, the reason Jesus is the way and the reason that Jesus is the life and the reason that he is the only way to the Father is because he is the truth. Because he is truth. John 8, 31 and 32, Doug Goodbranson quoted that as he was praying this morning. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We could paraphrase it this way, and you will know Jesus, and Jesus will set you free, because Jesus is the truth. So the key question here is, what does Jesus mean by he's the truth? What is the truth that Jesus came to reveal what is the truth that he came to bear witness about? The overarching answer to that is Jesus is the truth about God. We know who God is and what God is like by looking at Jesus. We know God by the written word and the living word, the logos, Jesus Christ. We look at Jesus and we see God. But not only is he the truth about who God is, but he is the truth about salvation, about how a human being comes to know God and have their soul saved. How a person comes to God. He is the truth about salvation. But being the truth about God and being the truth about salvation encompasses so many things. Jesus is the truth about people, about who we really are. Jesus is the truth about sin. Jesus is the truth about judgment. Jesus is the truth about love. Jesus is the truth about holiness. Jesus is the truth about life. He is the truth about death. He is the truth about everything. And we know what is real and what is not, what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, because we know the truth. And only Jesus is the revealer of the truth. And when you know Jesus, you know the truth, because Jesus came to proclaim the truth. He is the truth. He is the revelation of truth itself. 
And then the first part of verse 38. Equally. It's powerful. Amazing. Pilate said to him, What is truth? What is truth? Do you understand what Pilate is asking here? Do you understand what he is saying? His heart is so cynical. His heart is so skeptical that he says, truth, what is truth? As if to say, I've been looking for truth my whole life. There is no truth. Folks, he's exactly like people today. Pontius Pilate is alive and well in this world today through the people of this world. Everyone is asking today, what is truth? Many are saying there is no such thing as truth. We are so confused. It's, it's amazing to me. There's an old saying that says you don't have to make the Bible irrelevant, just preach the word, it is relevant. It's always relevant to whatever we're going through right now. It'll be relevant 20 years from now, 50 years from now. Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. And people constantly ask, is there any such thing as truth? Folks, we are living in a time where people are asking, what is a man? What is a woman? Is there such things as gender? And can I be a man and change to a woman? Can I be a woman and change to a man? Why can't I? Who gets to say? People are asking, what is marriage? Who gets to say what marriage is? Is marriage between a man and a woman? Why do you say it is? How come you get to say it is? Can't marriage be whatever I want it to be? A child in a mother's womb, is that merely organic tissue? Or is it a child with an eternal soul? Who gets to say? Who gets to determine that? Who gets to decide what the truth is? Is there any such thing as truth? And so people live in an absurd, make-believe world because, because they think that truth doesn't exist. And so Pilate responds cynically to the fact that Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. In the last part of verse 38, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Important statement, and we'll be looking at this even more next week. He says he's innocent. Pontius Pilate, ever so cynical, ever so skeptical, torn all the time, proclaims the right verdict. I find no guilt in him. But remember, Pilate's looking to get out of this. He's finding a way to save himself in this. Verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. You see what Pilate's doing? He's shifting everything to them. You make the decision. I'm not going to make the decision. As the judge, 
in the civil trial of Jesus, he should have let him go right here, but he doesn't because he knows it would have angered the Jewish leaders and he didn't want to do that. And so he just throws it back to them. I really believe Pilate thought they were going to choose Jesus. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now, again, it's interesting. In the other Gospels, they spend a lot of time on Barabbas. John spends almost no time on Barabbas. It's not part of his Holy Spirit-inspired concern here. And even notice in verse, it's verse 40, it says, they cried out again. So he's assuming that the readers know a little bit about what happened when Barabbas and Jesus were presented to them. Of course, the crowd said, not this man, but Barabbas. And Barabbas was a, right, a robber. Luke tells us in his gospel that Barabbas was an insurrectionist and a murderer. And so we end this passage. As guilty Barabbas goes free, an innocent Jesus is sent to his death. Guilty Barabbas goes free. An innocent Jesus is being sent to his death. As we close this morning, I want us to think very carefully this morning about Jesus' statement. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. When he said that to Pilate, I believe that was the second time in their conversation he was giving a Pilate, he was giving Pilate an opportunity to believe. Remember, back in verse 34, he said, do you say this of your own accord? Are you asking me if I'm a king? Are you real? Do you really want to know? And here he says to Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate, are you listening to my voice? Are you listening to my voice? I want you to notice something amazing here. Again, think of the big picture. Jesus was not on trial before Pilate. Pilate was on trial before Jesus. Pilate stood face to face with the one who was the truth of God. And he walked away. And he walked away. For every one of us here, the only way you'll ever know the truth is to know Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, which we studied some months ago, Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I want to ask every single one of us here this morning, have you ever heard the voice of Jesus? I'm not asking you if you've heard an audible voice, but through the reading of the Bible and the preaching and teaching of the word of God, has your soul ever been convicted? Has your conscience ever been pricked? Where you see that you are sinful and in desperate need of a savior? Have you ever come to a point in your life where you've made a conscious, intentional, deliberate decision to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life through prayer to be your personal Lord and Savior. 
That's what it means to hear the voice of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Let me say this morning, if you've never made a personal, individual decision to receive Jesus as your Savior, we encourage you to do that. We, you contact us and we will do whatever it takes to help you understand what it means to invite Jesus to come into your life. If you're watching by live stream, there's a link on our website there on, on what you're watching. There's a link there where you can contact us. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth that is revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we know exactly who God is and what God is like. May every one of us be so sensitive to the voice of Jesus through the word of God. May every one of us make sure in our hearts that we know him as Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.